Well, we continue in our Christmas sermon series, and um, as we do every year, we alternate the preaching schedule here and um, kind of gives us an opportunity to enjoy each other um, preaching and to also take some breaks during Christmas. And um, so um, Pastor Giorgio, our associate pastor here, is going to be preaching the word to us this morning. And um, let's read this story found in John 8. You want me to read all of it? Okay. Um, This is the word of God. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are. Appearing as your own witness, your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do not judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father. Who sent me? In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then he asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I will tell, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. This is the word of God. We often uh, pick all the songs and uh, and the statements that we do at Christ Central and the you know the creeds and all that stuff uh, and tie it in some ways to all together, trying to tie it with a sermon and other things like that. But um, uh, rarely do we try to tie. Uh, a baptismal testimony into it, and uh, it's interesting um, how good the Lord is to kind of 
you make all the worship service good for us because uh, because I'm going to talk a little bit about light today, um, uh, life and light. And uh, I, I didn't talk with Matt or Jill about what the testimony would be. Um, and even uh, as you'll think through the sermon, I, I felt like I was getting preached to my own sermon beforehand, which frankly this morning I really kind of needed. <laughs> um, and so. Let me start with talking about traditions a little bit. Traditions really do matter. Um, what we do, um, the, the, the way we do things over and over as a culture, the way we agree to do things, uh, they bring light to the kind of values that we hold, the, um, the importance we put on things. Uh, they, they, they tell us a lot about, uh, about what we um, hold to, what we value, what we honor. And we get this clearly. I mean, that's the whole study of anthropology, isn't it? Uh, not anthropology, the place you get all those cool clothes, but anthropology, the study of people, anthroposes. Um, but wreaths and uh, yule logs and mistletoes and the creche, nativity scenes, all that stuff, it really does matter. And Christmas is no different. Christmas and Christmas decorations. Um, I had a moment um, that I, I almost have to confess a little bit. When we were putting our Christmas ornaments uh, up this year, um, I, I had this memory that just warmed me. I had this kind of like, oh, goodness. And I pulled out this Christmas ornament, which is really faux gilded and with uh, velvety red stuff on it with these little babies that are around a carousel, and I had, it's not the most beautiful thing, when you guys come to the house tonight to, for the Christmas party, you can look at it and mock me later, but I had this moment where I was like, oh, we had four of these, each for our family, each of the family members, a group of four in the family, mom and dad, and my sister and me, and I was thinking about it, and I kind of went back to all those beautiful memories of before they were divorced, before we lived uh, some 3,000 miles away, and I had this great moment uh, to myself, and Amanda said, yeah, I really like that, my mom bought that for me, he said so and so and so and so, and I was like, whoa, whoa, no, no, this can't be, it's all not true if that's the case, and so I called my sister and I said, Paula, what was the ornament that I cared most about? And she said something else. I was like, no, 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 the other one that we all had. And she said, yeah, this kind of little red velvety thing. And I was like, yes, my life matters. The tradition is true. It's not Amanda's, it's mine. And all my memories count for something. And I rubbed it in her face and went on decorating the tree with Yuletide Joy. Um, Christmas tree and the history of the Christmas tree and all that matters in there is a really kind of bizarre story. I, I read way too much about uh, Christmas trees and the history of them and uh, all sorts of uh, uh, stuff. And it's fascinating, the traditions and the and th- that's gone about in every culture and not just Christmas trees, but trees in general. And trees in general in the scripture take a big, big part of, of the metaphors used there. Um, the Apostle Paul connects the covenant people, God's chosen church as a tree that has grown on the uh, grown as an offshoot of a cut down tree of the Israelites. That's a tree metaphor. It's not an evergreen, but it's a tree nonetheless. Um, the Israel the prophet calls uh, us oaks of righteousness. King David said that God's people would be like trees that grow alongside the streams, always drinking the nourishment uh, that is there. And evergreens, though, are kind of different. There's not a lot of biblical images of evergreens. Um, but evergreens were a really, really big deal in most cultures that had them. Egyptians uh, had a form of one. Druids, Celts, Saxons. Uh, they were almost, they were honored at least, and some cultures even worshipped for their verdant uh, life-giving realities. 
It seems that the Christmas tree originates from the German Tannenbaum, uh, which uh, I will not sing for you. Uh, O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum. Pastor Howard told me I couldn't. Uh, Some type of Teutonic vegetation worship that occurred. But even earlier, there's a custom in the Roman Empire of uh, Saturnalia, which is the feast of Saturn, and they used evergreens there. And they kind of evolved, you know, uh, Christianity is kind of a, um, uh, a religion that didn't have its own, not until about 350, 380 did it have its own kind of cultural manifestation. We had to borrow all the holidays of the people who kind of ran the world. Uh, so you get off on winter solstice because the Romans get off on winter solstice. So that's when you can do your holidays. You get off on Easter because of Easter. You get, you know, that you, you kind of take a break when you can, right? Uh, and so they had the holy days at that point. So as this evolved, the Christian tradition of a Christ mass tree uh, has had, because of its roots, has had kind of a quirky um, uh, a quirky go of it. There's been whole churches that have denied it. There's been all sorts of other things like that that have occurred. So it's, it's kind of have a rocky relationship with the church, the old Christmas tree does. Um, and uh, the Catholics blame it on the Protestants, and the Protestants blame it on the Catholics. Uh, and, uh, you know, like we always do. Um, but no matter what, now... We can say this, at least, that no matter how thoroughly mixed with pagan culture and tradition and sacrifice that it once had, it is indelibly connected, or uh, thoroughly connected to the birth of Christ. Can we say that? That's fair? The birth of Christ, the tree is somehow connected to Christmas, uh, the birth of, uh, and life of Jesus of Nazareth, this is what all, all that's about, and, um, about this one who makes remarkable claims about himself. Now, we also know that it's connected to the commercialization of all things, uh, that it's uh, kind of uh, connected to materialism in the world. Uh, you might even say really bad sweaters. Um, uh, that uh, that it's connected to uh, of of needing of an extra dose of Prozac because you have to go see your family and that you uh, don't really want to go see uh, and fake like you all like each other when you really feel hopeless about it. Um, I should stop. That's another sermon. But um, but it's also about beauty and life and hope and and lights. As Pastor Howard was talking about the Christmas lights, uh, but the birth of the one. Um, who makes such crazy claims about himself. They're all kind of tied together. Um, it's interesting that, uh, that even now, the kind of uh, pagan materialism of our day uh, and the tree are connected to each other as well as they're connected to this Christ child. So what we're going to do is both the factual and fable stories of the Christmas tree are, we're going to connect with this one uh, who they're connected to, at least in some way, or at least connected to this Jesus and in the story of John 8. A little comparison, a little contrast, contrast, a better for everything as we tell these stories alongside of each other. But I want you to remember three kind of themes that keep coming up. That's life, light, and promise. Life, light, and promise. You know that, uh, that O Tannenbaum, the song which I will not sing, is, uh, is a, is a song that talks about this kind of promise. It's, uh, uh, it's a really interesting Christmas carol because it doesn't mention Jesus at all. I don't know if you've noticed that. Barely I don't think it mentions God either. It's kind of really kind of close to its pagan roots of the Otanenbaum. Um, but it says, it brings us joy and glee, this kind of hope and promise that this tree will bring us. Uh, the, and so you get that kind of hope and promise there. You have, uh, O Christmas tree, O Christmas tree, much pleasure dost thou bring me. This is again this kind of hope and promise. O Christmas tree, O Christmas tree, thy candles shine out brightly. Thy candles shine out brightly. That makes each toy to sparkle bright. 
The candles shine so brightly, a Christmas tree, a Christmas tree. How lovely are your trees, how verdant green they are. Life, light, promise. Got it? It's kind of in there. Okay, so let's talk with life first. If you go back to your passage this morning, Pastor Howard read, verse 12 is the center of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to kind of branch off from there. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Now, when Jesus is telling this, the story about this life that he brings, it has a context. And so does the Christmas tree, this verdant life, this kind of uh, the evergreen is the interesting thing about it, isn't it? That it always is green. And that's because it's winter and it's still green, so it seems alive. So it has this kind of hope of life that springs from it. And it was actually worshipped uh, as a symbol of fertility. In the ancient, in ancient cultures, in some ancient cultures. Uh, in fact, the Christmas English, not Christmas carol, the English, there's English carols about how, uh, the holly is the male and the ivy is the female. There are carols about, um, this kind of Saturnalian, this kind of, uh, Saturn, Saturn, uh, Saturn feast that they had that, uh, that included, it was kind of the Mardi Gras of, of, of Europe, of ancient Europe. It was kind of a wild, crazy time. That's where all that, with, with the mistletoe stuff comes from. A uh, really interesting uh, uh, deal where this is tied to this fertility um, and uh, all these festivals and and there were uh, there were Odin's sacred fur was a part of it. This is all kind of part of this kind of life giving fertility uh, cults that ex- existed in Druids. But there's also a Christmas version of the story of the Christmas tree, and that is Saint Boniface. Does anybody know who Saint Boniface is? Who are German of, of German orientation here? The patron saint of Germany, and more importantly, the patron saint of brewers, Saint Boniface. Uh, 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 we should all laud him. Uh, uh, but uh, here, the story comes from 722 A.D., where Boniface is uh, is an Englishman, and he go, he's going to Germany, and um, and tied to this kind of. Um, uh, uh, druid uh, idea they were about to sacrifice a child and they were going to use this huge oak tree to do it um, and they were going to put him up there and and, uh, and 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 light it on fire well St. Boniface the legend goes uh, takes his axe and with one fail swoop uh, chops the tree down and it splits in two and from it grows of course a fern tree this fern tree grows out of it. And he uses it, of course, as any good preacher would do as a lesson. And he says, this tree of purity and life points us towards heaven and points us of new life. He says that, uh, that, they, uh, that it is a holy tree, a tree that symbolizes the Christ child, the purity of the new faith and the promise of eternal life. St. Boniface instructed them from henceforth to carry the evergreen from the wilderness, place it into their homes, and surround it with gifts of symbolic love and kindness. So it goes the legend of Boniface. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, it has a context too. In John, every chapter of John thus far talks about Jesus being the light of life. Talks about this life stuff that we're talking about here. When he says, I am the, uh, I will have the, they will have the light of life. He actually does it. Pastor Howard preached on it just not too long ago, maybe even last week about in him was life and that life was the light of men. John 3.16, the famous uh, passage that, uh, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
this verdant green life, if you will. John 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. The words I have spoken bring eternal life in John 6. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He's talking about an eternal life here that, uh, that, that means that uh, there is a quantity and a quality of life. There is a type of life that is kind of eternally described and a life that goes on forever. A chronological side of that. The original hearer would have known what he was talking about. The original hearer would have gone, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about, this whole life and eternity stuff and uh, the new heavens and new earth kind of stuff that, that, that they would know of is in their Jewish tradition. It wasn't so crazy that he talked about that stuff. Other prophets did. The crazy thing is that he tied it to himself. And he gave testimony about it to himself. That's what that whole next section is about, where they start fussing. I'm not going to go completely through that because we're going to stay concentrating on his, his claim to be the light of the world. But, you know, wait a second. How are you doing this? You need a witness for yourself. And he's like, well, you know, it's right. Jewish law would say I have two witnesses. Here are the witnesses. Me and God. As God is my witness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. My father. Who's your father? They're totally missing the point of what he's going for. He's claiming all this stuff about himself, this long-promised Messiah that's coming. And he just goes on to explain and, and, and talk about who he is and where he's coming from, um, uh, about the testimony of two men and he te- that you need to have. And he says, I've got it to me. Uh, he goes, he just talks about him. And he, in some senses, runs circles around him until he comes to the point at the end when he says, look, until I get lifted up, i.e. the cross, you're not going to understand any of this. He is the one who claims to bring eternal life. Period. Now, at Christ Central, we talk about the character side, the characterized side, or the, um, the uh, qualitative side about eternal life a lot, and we should. That's bringing justice the, the, uh, to a loving neighbor, to, uh, to caring for each other. And that is part of eternal life that starts now. But one of the things we don't talk about as much that I just want to underline here, because the passage seems to underline it here, is life eternal. That even though we die, we do not die. I... I that's not a metaphor for us. I want you to know. We talk in metaphors a lot. Pastor Howard and I are both English majors, so we talk like that a lot, uh, metaphorically. We think that people live forever. And we think that people, that Jesus tells us that he will keep his for all eternity. That even though we die, we will not die. And that's what's happening here when he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You hear the time deal? He's not talking about quality. He's talking about quantity or chronology. Will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this means you can put your trust in him until the end of days. He will provide for us, for you. He keeps and protects us. The relationship starts now, but it lasts eternally he offers this eternal life life with him forever and that means no matter what you go through however thoroughly bad this economy gets no matter what happens to us no how no matter how discouraged you come become you who follow Christ will have eternal life Forever. 
Now this can be quirky and weird for some of us. If you just want to talk about this, we have prayer people afterward. Call Pastor Howard and me. Call a friend that you came with. Whatever. We will talk about this and what that means. Have coffee with us. Whatever. Pray about it. Because this life stuff is connected to this light stuff. Springer, my daughter, uh, plays this game where uh, she is a flower. She is a flower, and she gets down in a ball, and what you have to do is you've got to have to work the ground a little bit, put some seeds in, pour water on her. Fake water. Well, that's not, yeah. uh, that wouldn't fly at our house. Um, uh, fake water. And, uh, but she will not grow. You know, the life, all that sources and the seeds all in there. She won't grow until you pretend to be the sun. And when you t- pretend to be the sun, she'll go. Uh, and then I have to do it, and then, you know, all over the place. And then she'll do a little sun, and then she'll put the sun down, so you got, you know, she'll, that power. Yeah. Um, light and life are always together, aren't they? It's images. And Jesus claims to be the light of life. This is where we get to our next um, picture of the history of the Christmas tree from Martin Luther. Martin Luther is said, is, um, and this one seems a little bit more than more like historically reliable than Boniface, just in case you're wondering. Enough to gig the patron saint of brewers, but it may not happen that way. But Luther um, seems to have uh, been walking along in the evening, and uh, he saw light uh, from the stars and the moon coming through the trees, and uh, and just it looked like it was it was sparkling the evergreen trees with a little bit of snow on them. And he had this moment where he was overwhelmed with its beauty. And uh, later, uh, he was walking home and he was trying to figure out how to explain this to his kids and his family. So he went out and cut a smaller version of it and put candles behind it and, uh, and, and showed it to his family and said, this is what I saw, this is what I witnessed, which became the Christmas tree. And, the, you know, the lights of Christmas are so important for us at Christmas tree time. Did you know that actually Charlotte, North Carolina is somewhat tied to the history of the Christmas tree? Because Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg uh, uh, introduced the Christmas tree with its lights or introduced the lights of the Christmas tree uh, to, uh, um, uh, to uh, the royal court. Um, and then you know this. I mean, Pastor Howard said it already. You know, the, na- the lighting of the national tree. It's The lights come on. That's when it starts, right? It's not just like setting it up. It's when the lights come on. It's, ooh. Um, it almost worked at my house, except for I had one faulty thing, and it went, ooh, ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but even South Park, there's this. we have this instinct that uh, the lights are a significant part of both Christmas and what it means, something even spiritual and religious about who we are. And Jesus is claiming to be this kind of light. And now there's a context to this as well. What is Jesus doing? It says that he is at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, tabernacles are just tents. They're booths. Um, it says that in verse in chapter 7, uh, right before, uh, one story beforehand, and it doesn't say he left from there. Um, but it's a celebration of Israel being uh, in the in the desert for 40 years and the Lord taking care of them and them having tents and booths or tabernacles that they uh, they lived in. Uh, or maybe not the celebration of that, but the celebration of the Lord keeping them through that, um, that they lived kind of uh, as a nomadic people. It also corresponds to the Jewish tradition uh, at this time of Hanukkah, uh, which uh, is still famous today, the Festival of Lights that honors the uh, sacrifice of the Maccabees. Now, here's what the deal was, though. 
I don't think we can gather how big. I mean, we like big Christmas trees and stuff like that. But think about this, especially in day and age, in, in a day and age where you didn't have electrical lights. They would create these huge menorahs, not necessarily eight. Menorah also means just lamps. So these huge lamps and with candles on them that, um, according to the scriptures, were 50 amoses high. Now, I did some crack detective work on what an amos was. And uh, it seems like these might have been as close, as if I did my math right, which is maybe not true, uh, maybe not right, uh, up to 75 feet tall. And of course, the junior priests had to go light them. <laughs> yeah, like that. The old priest was like, no, I had to do that when I was young. Now it's your turn to go climb the ladder and t- set that thing up, alight, alight that thing. And um, hey, how you doing? Um, uh, so, so anyway, the... Um, the hold on, let me make sure I am where I am. There you go. Um, so, anyways, the feast of the tabernacles. These lights are just, you know, they, it was said that you could um, that every court in Jerusalem could be lit by these big, huge lamps. Could you imagine the sight that that would be? And it's precisely there where Jesus says, "I am the light of the world." It's pretty wild, isn't it? That's the context of his words. Okay, what's that mean? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It means two things in this context. It means safety and sight. You'll never walk in darkness. This is a, an issue of, 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 of darkness, is the issue of people coming and attacking you and, and coming after you and, and, and not being able to see in front of you. And so you're in jeopardy for someone uh, to, uh, to, to, to take advantage of you. You didn't walk on the streets at night Outside of the temple, outside of the city gates. That's where robbers were. You would not do that. But he's saying, wherever you are, you'll never walk in darkness because of me. And you know this. It's a protection, uh, that, that you've experienced either from another or even from your own, your own heart's issue of wanting to mess up. I know many of you. I know my own self who've committed, committed to do something wrong. Knowing that, that I'm done, whether it's in my despair or my anger, rebellion, frustration, faithlessness, hopelessness, whatever it is, and something comes up. A friend calls. I've forgotten I was going to do something wrong before. That's being kept by the light of Christ. Being kept and exposed. Sometimes you just see somebody. And the light comes on and you go, oh, whoa, I've lost myself. Here I can see again. It's a protection, a safety. And we know how we react to when the lights come on. Sometimes it's like kitchen roaches. It's time to run. Other times the light comes on and we it's more like a flashlight where we want to follow in its path, right? Or other times it's like leaving the neighborhood theater and you just kind of freeze because you can't see. When it's a bright day outside, if you haven't experienced that, maybe it'll brighten up and you will in about a half hour. Uh, but you can't see and you just gotta freeze cause you gotta, you gotta, you gotta let your eyes adjust. And that's exactly what happens with, with Jesus as the light of the world. Sometimes we wanna run. Sometimes we wanna follow. And other times we just need to orient ourselves again. But the promise is that we would never walk in darkness. The beautiful promise is that we'd never walk in darkness again, even when we want to. But it's also sight. And there is something here that, um, that I think is really kind of beautiful. Again, this light was not just to look at the light, but because by it you got to see things. It's why I love the Luther story so much. Is that it's, 
uh, he sees the beauty in the ordinary when the lights come in. It's an ordinary tree, an ordinary stars, ordinary moon, sacred event, a sacred vision, something that he saw that was beautiful, a way to look at the world, a lens, if you will. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he helps our cataract eyes. We see things all the time, but our cataracts make us, uh, make us, um, uh, unsure where the sources of the beauty are. That we, we run into all sorts of other problems and issues because we, we don't give, uh, credit where credit is due for the beauty and the joy and the, uh, uh, experiences that we have. You know, the next miracle that happens here is actually Jesus healing a blind man, giving him eyes to see. That's what happens just next, right after this. So what Jesus is saying is, I will give you eyes to see, not just me, not to give you safety, but to see the way the whole world works. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not because I see it, but because by it I can see everything else. I think that's a beautiful statement about what's going on here. Look, y'all, Luther, even though he comes from the same Jewish tradition uh, culturally, from the Tannenbaum uh, Teutonic um, uh, vegetation worship did not look at that tree and go you know start bowing down to it because it lit up kind of cool what he did was go because of the light that had come into his life it gave meaning to the lights behind the lights it gave meaning to the tree and the beauty of the earth and all that is there it gave meaning to to uh, to even the traditions even the pagan traditions of his own culture he was able to see it and honor it for what it was God's good creation. It's called a world view, and you see it because Jesus is the light of the world. Okay. World view. It's a strange term, but it's one that Jesus is calling us to. How do we see our vocations in light of Jesus being the light of the world? Are we working for what is true, good, and beautiful? How do we approach money and spending? Do we look at our daily lives through through the biblical narrative of the glory of creation, the tragedy of the fall, the intensity and uh, and uh, costliness of redemption, and that glorious, absolutely wonderful day when all things will be made right? Do we look at life and live life according to that? Does Jesus have anything to do with the rest of your week, your checkbook, your daytimer, your kitchen? Your bedroom. Does Jesus have anything to do with that? Does the light of the world light those places too? And he says, yes, I do. I understand you may have to adjust your eyes. I understand that you'll want to run. But I am the light of the world and I will bring you safety and sight. Lastly, promise. The Feast of the Tabernacles is a feast about promises. God promises to keep his people. Those tabernacles, those tents, again, are about the 40 years in the desert. And when he uh, was with his people, and he was led by, the people were led by a pillar of fire, a big thing of light, right? A pillar of fire by night. It was an example, it was a symbol of how they were able to be led by God's hand, if you will, almost face to face as he moved forward with them. This Feast of the Tabernacles is where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. 
And what he's doing is declaring for anybody who has any Jewish sensibilities at the time, which was everybody there, says, I am the fulfillment of Moses. I am the fulfillment of this promised land. The Old Testament prophecies say, the people walked in darkness, have seen a great light, talking about the Messiah to come. Arise, shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon uh, upon there. Again, talking about this one who is coming. Jesus is proclaiming himself the Messiah. The one who was promised to Israel. Every Israelite would understand that he is bringing salvation, that he is the promised one, that he is the one who comes forth, that he is the one who is, uh, is, is, has been the long-expected one, as we hear in some of our Christmas hymns. Jesus enlightens and enlivens the Jewish mind here. Springer, again, my daughter, this is the first year she's actually been able to kind of deal with Christmas stuff. So we have all these nativity scenes. And Springer likes to gather, she's three, she likes to gather all the baby Jesuses. And she gets them all together, and she puts them all there, and then she feeds them. And she takes them, and of course, she calls them baby Moseses. Because that's the last movie she's seen that has to do with, you know, little babies. So, so now they're all baby Moseses. There's something right about that. And the Jews would have got it as they heard. As we talked about tents and tabernacling and the light, and then Jesus comes to this ceremony and says, I'm the light of the world, they would have gone, oh, everything that we confused with Moses is actually Jesus. We confused David as the one who might be able to take to lead us, might be Messiah. At times we've confused. At times we've confused Moses as the great prophet. But it's Jesus who claims this crazy thing about himself, that he is the light of the world. And one more thing, you guys. There's one more geographical thing that you would need to know. Is that Jesus does this near the place where the offerings were put. Which means this is not the middle of the temple. It's on the outskirts of the temple. The place of the women. Which in that day and age is the place of the marginalized. It's outside, outside, outside. And he's proclaiming that he's the light of the world, not just to the Jewish elite, not into the, not in the Holy of Holies, but to the whole world. He's declaring that he is the one who brings light to all these situations and, uh, and, and like a Christmas tree can be redeemed, uh, rightly so it can be seen not just as a pagan form of worship, uh, uh back in the day, but something that, that can be, uh, redeemed and shown forth as, as something that gives glory to God. It's the place where the offerings were taken as well. You know what else that means? It's the place where you paid your sin and atonement debt. And what Jesus is saying is, right here, in this place, the most illumined place there is that you know of, I am not just for the Jewish people, but I am for the world. And what's done here, which is the atoning sacrifices that are made, the atonement, uh, the payments of, a, of, of the temple tax... I will be your atonement too. His very presence there says that. That's why you get to the place where he says that when you raise me up, they didn't understand what he was telling them about that. So he said, Jesus said, when you lift, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, assumably on a different kind of tree, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what he pleases, what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. 
Friends, the geography of this situation (laughs) screams to us that he is not just the light of the Jews, but he's the light of the world. That all of us can come to him. Not many of us here are from Jewish origins. Not many of us would get the inside jokes. But John records it for us so that we would know that he is the light of the world, not just the light of, uh, of Israel, but the light of the world, which includes our very pagan longings for fertility. Let me explain that. Which includes these right longings that all of our cultures have. That without the light of Christ, become idols. But with the light of Christ, can become beautiful and redemptive. There's all sorts of stories like this in our cultures. All sorts of things that are redeemed because Jesus is the light of the world. Because not, it's not just that we see him, it's by him we see everything else. Our Christmas trees. I'm not saying you're supposed to have one or not supposed to have one. That's not the point. The Christian tradition has been all over the place on this. I'm not putting a dog in that fight. What I'm saying is this, that Jesus is the light of the world. And as far as the curse is found, he brings his light to bear to it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have come, that you are life and light and the fulfiller of promise. Help us now continue to worship you as you deserve all of our praise, all of our attention, and all of our glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.